As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic uh, about, about Watford Football Club. And hey, hey, things were good and they're getting better. Yes, the fourth win on the trot for Watford away at Blackburn uh, this evening. Uh, 3-2 uh, in the end to the, the Hornets and uh, another... Uh, well, you, you just oh, that sort of uh, end to the game. Uh, I'm joined by Mike. Good evening, Michael. Yeah, good evening. That last five or six minute not in the stomach never gets any easier to deal with. You know it's coming. You know exactly what it feels like. But I still, uh, how old am I now? 42, 43. I still haven't worked out a way of dealing with it. Oh, we made it though. Well done, Owens. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the Athletics Watford correspondent, Mr. Adam Leventhal. Adam, were you were you tense at the end there? Were you kind of a cool dude at the end of a of a tense game? It was it was nervy, wasn't it? It was nervy, but I thought that they actually managed it quite well in the end. And uh, yeah, Andre Gray came up with the goods right in the corner, so mm. I was uh, I was proud of Andre. Yeah, well, Mike, do you sort of see this out the, the the four games we four wins? It, it felt like the hardest for me, and I'm, and for for many many reasons, particularly the pitch. But it was I think the hardest one we've had to grind out. It's probably the least Watford like game of the season. Apart from the other game at home to Blackburn, they it was a it was a tight affair. Three two was it three two against Blackburn at, yeah. at Vicarage Road yeah. as well. And I have to say, Blackburn impressed uh, that evening. It was one of the rare sort of entertaining games of that the, the early what part of the Watford season. Blackburn looked good in front of goal. They moved the ball around and, and asked several questions of Watford. And they did the same tonight, despite coming off the the back of some pretty bad form. And as you mentioned, John, pretty torrid conditions. The rain um, was continual, wasn't it, from minute one to minute 94. They moved it around quite nicely and I thought it was an open game, chances at both ends. Again, we came up against an opposition who looked dangerous on set pieces in particular, but they were more than that. They they switched the ball around nicely. They were, they were decent with the ball at their feet. And it was just a much more open game um, than I think we've been used to watching Watford in, in recent... Well, this season as a whole, I think, hasn't it? So... It was in some, in some ways really enjoyable, in other ways more more tough to take. So uh, you know me, I'm never happy, am I? 
<laughs> no, uh, and I'm glad. Not, uh, I'm glad <laughs> no. you're not my life partner, Michael. Now, um, the, the yeah, the game started <laughs> off. I think that yeah, definitely the a lot of um, misplaced passes. You know, not getting quite the weight right on the, on it. It was raining heavily at the beginning of the game, um, uh, and it took 25 minutes uh, for Watford to get their first goal. And it couldn't have been that was that was exactly the goal, Adam. That that goalkeeper was going to let in, wasn't it? He wasn't having a good <laughs> game, and it was Jao Pedro uh, in. Well, you know, another. It wasn't slick and stylish like you you want him to be. It was very clever. That's what it was. I think, yeah, Kaminsky in goal for for Blackburn had been threatening to throw one in for the first sort of twenty five minutes and was uh, <laughs> obviously sort of encouraging the the Watford forwards. But then it was, yeah, it, it looked. I suppose when the ball sort of looped up to a front man and then looped into the back of the net, you sort of think, oh, it was a bit of a messy goal. But that was a very clever finish from from Joao Pedro. I thought mm. that he sort of adapted his body very very quickly and showed great agility and. Um, it was it was a it was a, a finish of a of a confident striker. What's that? Three in three now, nine for the season, um, and he's looking in really good form. And once again, you know, throwing his weight around, doing tireless work centrally, running to the right, running to the left, you know, rotating with Semmer, rotating with Saar as well. So it was it was really good to see him score a, a different looking goal you know it wasn't a pullback and a a little flick it was him getting on the edge of the box making a bit of a run in behind and, and being clever with it because he did he sort of gambled didn't he he was mm. the first to react and he 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 got there was brave to get there ahead of the keeper as well and it was a really really clever finish to sort of guide it up and over and and bounce and then in so yeah really good for him and it was the, it was the perfect start after I thought they looked. I, look, I thought they looked confident uh, at mm. the beginning of the game, and they looked. They had that sort of presence around them that they had at Preston as well, where they knew what they wanted to do. They were passing the ball around, but of course they were dealing with a with an absolute ploughed pitch that was mm. that was really really soggy as well. So it was difficult conditions, and I think it's, it's worth sort of almost putting an asterisk. Asterisk. Asterisk the goal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by that game, you know. I think it's credit to both sides that that it it it, it was obviously a, a terrible conditions and the pitch obviously wasn't in great nick. But I don't think that was that was the main talking point from the game for for either either watchers or indeed a neutral. I wouldn't have said either team struggled more or less because of it or the, or it ruined it. I thought just just to touch on Jao Pedro's goal there. I think there's a great angle of it, sort of. Behind the behind the goal, if you like, with Jao Pedro coming on, you just watch him. He he see you know it's a bit of a hit and hope from cleverly over the top, isn't it? But Jao Pedro, what he does, he 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 understands the trajectory straight away. He sets himself, mm. he works out what he's going to do, and everything you say there. And you know, on first watch, it looks fairly simple. The the keeper makes a horlix of it. Uh, the defender stands still, assuming it's going to be offside or whatever. And 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 on first watch, he's just sort of dinked it over him. But there was a lot of moving parts that Pedro had to get right. He had to judge the bounce right. He had to make sure that, you know, get ready for that potential collision with the keeper and still get it on on, on target. It was it was a really, really good goal. And you could see the sort of, it's like that, that meme where you see all the sort of um, uh, scientific calculations going and the guy sort of moving around <laughs> yeah. trying to work out what's going on. That's, a, that's what a, a confident striker does, doesn't he? They make that split-second decision and they can work out the trajectory of the ball, the bounce, where it's going to go, where they're going to put it, how much he needs to put on it. And he did exactly that. And I think it was just reward because I think you're right, Adam. I think what, what Watford have failed to do all too often up until this, this little mini run of really good form 
is when they've come against up against teams who are struggling or come again, up against teams uh, who are weakened by injury. And uh, tonight, Blackburn, I think they had their two, you know, two young young centre backs, didn't they? And and Watford haven't asked enough questions. They haven't been positive enough in exploiting those weaknesses in the opposition. And I thought they absolutely did do that tonight. Uh, Blackburn played more football than than Preston, which is the, the the game you mentioned, Adam, which probably allowed Watford to have a little bit more swagger. I felt they were able to sort of really impose themselves on the game for the initial exchanges, and and it was no didn't over uh, egg their their dominance to when they went two 0 up, did they? I think they thoroughly thoroughly deserved it, and I thought they looked thoroughly impressive in in difficult conditions. But but using their dominance, using their extra quality against uh, what is quite frankly an inferior, certainly defensive opposition. So I was absolutely delighted at two 0 <laughs> and then uh, frustrated um, just before half time. Yeah, I mean the, the second goal from Sar, you know, again a different goal from him, but uh, you know, really, uh, you know, similar to, to Jao Pedro. By the way, I think Jao Pedro has, has scored many a goal like that on a very not, not a cold night in Blackburn, but a very hot sunny beach. Uh, mm. In Brazil, where you uh, it's a different sort of skill set you need to have to play that sort of football. It might might have been helping him out here, but but the, the goal from uh, Ishmaela, he was he pushed it, he kept driving forward, he stuck his toe in, and it went in the back of the net. And again, that shows I think the confidence of him uh, and in these last few weeks, where he is starting to play like like we want him to play with those you know running down the wing, getting ahead of the the defender, getting the balls in, and and, and making things dangerous. And, and and also being in the in the middle of it all uh, to to get a goal when, when needed, and you say you're very happy at that point, Mike. The 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 goal for uh, the third goal of the game, but the first one for Blackburn, did it come out of nowhere? I mean, it, it didn't feel like they were. I mean, it, it was it was actually the only thing that they really had, I suppose, in some ways. Their attack. You know, you said how weak their defence was. They were dangerous up front with the, the Harvey mm. Elliott and, and Armstrong. Yeah, they definitely ask questions, but they don't. I don't think they were really making many inroads, and until that point. And just to finish off the the goal, it was again, it was a great effort from from Pedro to 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 forge that opportunity for Sar. And the fact that he was gambling to get to get in, to be there for that, to to tuck it in, and it still needed dealing with, didn't it? It was bounced up, and he had to sort of wrap his foot around and get it in. So confidence, confidence, confidence. That goal was was a was a product of, and it's in it. Like you say, John, it's a thrill, a genuine thrill to see Sar. Um, starting to starting to flourish at arguably the most important stage of the season, but yeah, the, the, we we conceded just before half time, and it was two mistakes really, wasn't it? I thought they firstly Hughes, but then perhaps you know Adam Messina just dallying with it on the on the edge of the box, and he got got dispossessed, and a split second later the ball's in the back of the net, and having been so impressive, having been so dominant, and and having to, looking almost like you've got the game wrapped up at two 0 because. Watford were were looking threatening going forward. You get another one and and that's it. It's game over. Blackburn are, are, are down on their luck and they're not going to come back from three 0 down. But yeah, it was just a mistake and we can't afford those really. You know these games we've had two close games in the last two games now, haven't we? We managed to see it out against Derby. Um, we we conceded there and and let them back into the game and we almost did the same here really, didn't we? Because we went in at two one. And yes, we were ahead and yes, we felt positive, but it's like, mm, that changes the complexion ever so slightly. And it changes Blackburn's outlook completely because they were ready for it when their second half whistle went. First 10 minutes of the first, uh, second half, they were a completely different side. And, you know, they, we talked about the pitch. They made an absolute mockery of it, I thought. They they zipped the ball around and Watford looked off the pace, I thought. And you can't help but think back 
to to you know that giving them gifting them a goal really um just completely changed the complexion of the game and you thought right we're we're now in a contest that that 10 15 minutes ago didn't look like like, like happening adam i just wanted to ask you as well for the first time it felt like the two center backs pairing for the first, ever since they uh, Alta's come into the side he has sort of been the linchpin of a of a fairly solid center back pairing and i thought for the first time tonight the pair of them didn't look quite as solid as as previously do you think that was down to Blackburn playing well and the way they moved the ball around or just a bit of tiredness or what, or the fact that they've broken up that that um, pairing over the last two or three games and they're, they're, it's back to back to those two for the first time in a while. I think it's a, a combination of, of a couple of things that you said there. I, I, you know, you look back at the first game that we played against Blackburn at home, they basically play, you know, three um, forward players the same as, as we do up against our defence and, and they did that up against a, a back three in the in the home game and they caused problems and they were doing pretty much the same thing uh, this evening and pulling the center halves out of position and they didn't seem to really be sort of tracking some dangerous runs in behind in particular from from um, Adam Armstrong but I think you know as you mentioned there I think the chopping and changing it's been necessary because you can't just sort of play every center half into the ground but it has also been disruptive. So it's trying to sort of weigh up the two things. And, I, I, you know, I know that a lot of the players and, you know, Tommy Mooney in particular has said it in the in the studio a couple of times that when you're winning, you you always want to play. And that's what you're you're dealing with as well, because if you ever drop drop someone, they sort of take a little bit of a confidence here. Is he doing it f- to rest me or is he doing it to give someone an opportunity to then sort of take my place? So I think it can be a bit disruptive. And then also you've got to think that, you know, having Daniel Backman um, in there as well, everyone's still sort of getting used to, you know, new relationships in that in in terms of communication as well. So, you know, it's not it's not being it's no slight on any of the players involved, but it's still it's still a work in progress. And then when you don't have the consistency, I think that does that does have a, a big impact. But I think overall, if you look at the performances, there have just been a, a few sort of shady things happening and, and performance levels haven't been quite as, as high as they should be. Obviously, you know, you had the own goal against Derby today. Obviously, that you know, the distribution once again from, from Truce de Kong um, was questionable right from the start. And I, I do wonder a little bit whether, you know, something needs to be done in terms of the balance of the ball coming forward. It always seems to be coming through Troste Kong and and you just sort of think well let's let's rotate this let's not put him in that position all the time if he if he continually um seems to be sort of making making mistakes and you know overcooking his passes either you know short or in particular long and then you have to start to think well okay if that's what if that's what is going to happen consistently do you look at someone who's maybe potentially going to be better on the ball more comfortable bringing the ball forward the likes of of Ben Wilmot but then do you lose the physicality so it's 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 so difficult it's it's a real balancing act but you know i think the, the long and short of it is they came through another battle without a defeat and you know importantly a victory and they'll learn from that but what's important is that you know the coaching staff are on it in terms of their analysis because we seem to be getting sort of pulled around far too much into uh, for our set pieces against and you just think come on we need to we really need to be on this 
you know, Derby obviously had a very strong corner kick routine, which was very random. And if, if anyone gets a chance and they didn't see on social media, Ryan Conway, who covers um, Derby County for The Athletic, he did this amazing sort of pulling apart of how the corner routine that Derby continually used and almost scored a hatful of goals against us, but thankfully didn't. He, he pulled that apart. It was really good. So do have a look at, look at it. There needs to be more work defensively on our set pieces and also to get more out of them in terms of our attacking capabilities as well. So there's still obviously room for improvement, but I don't think that we should be putting any real downer on a battling, you know, a battling war of a performance. Yeah, I was just going to ask John, how cross are you at me for for managing to get all the negative vibes already? We haven't even got to the third goal yet. And I'm going, well, we're not very good at this, not very good at that. Just to round off the the negative, negative, not the negative, but the sort of slightly more concerning. Constructive. Constructive um, criticism. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, 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 definitely. Let's, Let's live in that world. Well done. Thank you for that. I feel better already. <laughs> Set pieces are a massive concern, I think, for, for me. The way that I thought they were quite inventive with the way they delivered, the, you know, some short, some some long, some into the box, some changing the angle. And I've seen Watford um, do that a little bit over the last couple of weeks. They've, they've tried a couple of sort of neat things off the, off the training ground. But we seem to really struggle against set pieces, don't we? And what what is that issue? Is that again? You know, because I think if you if a, a well executed set piece is going to be hard to defend against, whether you're Paolo Maldini or or Lloyd Doyle. You know, it's 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 difficult, isn't it? If yeah. it's in the right area, the right trajectory, it's very very difficult to defend. But for the second game in a row, Watford have found it very sort of unsettling, unnerving, um, and you know, Backman had to make a save. Late on at the end, didn't he? There was a lovely ball in from from Downing. You know, some flat, some lofted. Why is it that that, that we are struggling against set pieces? Is it we've just come across two sides who are good exponents of it, or or is it something that we're we're not hot enough on? Well, can I ask about in terms of when you're at the ground, you two? Because we hear some bits when we're watching at home on television. When you're the ground, in those situations, is there somebody commanding? The line is it? Is it Trustecon Adam or is it the goalkeeper? I mean, is is there a leader who is you know defining and 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 doing it? You know, it seems to be cleverly a little bit from what I've seen. But you know, who who's the vocal one of those situations? I think in the back line, I think Adam Messina is very loud. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Daniel Backman is is very loud as well, and William Trustecon is is obviously you know loud as well tries to organize but it's almost as if and look this isn't this isn't a, a criticism of that back line because they have been keeping clean sheets of late and they have been sort of battling and ultimately they did manage to keep them out at the end and it wasn't really harem scarum at the end obviously it was pretty tense you say that now like, you say <laughs> that now <laughs> no, it, yeah i mean it, it was it was nervy but it, it wasn't sort of you know balls being cleared off the line every sort of couple of seconds and you thought oh yeah. you know they can't even get it out of the box but I think it's almost as if they, they need to sort of, you know how we've seen the, the team as a whole get together in terms of the, the senior players um, and sort of galvanise this new collective spirit. It almost as, seems as if, you know, maybe that, that department just needs to have a little bit of a, a staff meeting, just try and sort of iron out the communication a little bit, because I think they all seem to be very much on the same page. And that was on the same page in terms of their spirit and their determination and their commitment there aren't it doesn't there's no sort of bad eggs in that in that 
department, I don't think. And I think that that sort of has been the case throughout this season. I think if you look back to when Vladimir Ivic was was in charge um, earlier on in the season, that was one of the, the best functioning areas of the team. And it was almost as if they were being let down a little bit by, you know, the midfield and the attack. So I think that they've got some solid foundations. They've obviously got good people um, involved. They're strong as well because they get extra support from, you know, Messina now being back and Kiko being back as well. So I just think it needs just a little bit more organisation, a little bit of of extra work. And I'm sure look, they're they're professional footballers and this is a you know proper football club. They're going to be working on it and they'll know that they're looking a bit shaky. So hopefully this is just sort of one of the subplots that they just need to incrementally you know, just get a grip on it a little bit, a little bit more, just show a little bit more dominance. And maybe it's difficult at this time of the season when you, you're playing every sort of three days. And obviously we had that hectic week last week and I wrote the article on it on The Athletic and all that sort of stuff. Um, it is tough to have that extra time on the training pitch to be to be practicing these things. But I suppose it's just one thing to sort of keep an eye on. If it continues to become a little bit too shaky um then we know that the work isn't being done i suppose but um hopefully and you're right right at the beginning there mike you said maybe we've just come up against two really good sides in blackburn and derby who've got good deliveries and that's what it comes down to because we know at the other end (laughs) for for quite a lot a lot of this season our deliveries have, have sort of stunk the place out a little bit so you know it does make a big difference if you can get the right ball into the box and then it makes it difficult for any for any defense I do have to say as well that you asked John who is who is noisy. Backman's voice yeah. carries, I reckon, about three counties. Um, you could probably hear it at Stevenage if they're they're playing at home. He has got the most booming uh, voice. Get out! He's like something. He's like a cross between something out of Lord of the Rings and the lead singer of Lamb of God. Uh, he is just an, an extraordinary. You really do hear him, but I don't think Trusty Kong is, is is noise as well. But yeah, Backman, good lord, he is. Uh, he's got a booming old voice and uh, a good game for him tonight. And I think you know we've been not critical, but like we've we've looked at we've we, we've we've got through the rough bits. We've we've examined the bits where we perhaps weren't um, quite as good as uh, as where we want to be because I think that's that's where you have to be because the, mar- the, the you're now looking at margins. We've now manoeuvred ourselves into a position where we are looking up the table at the top two instead of, um, you know, wondering if we're going to stay in the playoffs. So, you know, we are now an official, the charge is on, hopefully, for for a top two spot. And as we know, having been here before, it's very, very close. It's very, very difficult. And you have to get everything right. There is not much margin forever. So I think it's for those people listening, say, oh, blimey, Lance, you've been a little bit uh, bit tough on them after after a, after what was a fantastic win, a really, really good win. I think it's right to um, to, to try and iron out those wrinkles. And now we can sort of relax a little bit and, and sort of um, bathe in what was a, a good performance because there were, largely speaking, decent performances all over the pitch. Kiko um, to the right was, was, was superb again. I thought Messina, apart from his... Uh, sort of slightly iffy. Well, it was very iffy. iffy. Yeah, yeah. It was a massive mistake for the goal. Was good, and then again we saw you know a masterclass from from Will Hughes and and Tom Cleverley. Both of those guys, guys, I think we haven't even got to Ken's goal, but both right, of so those. King Ken, you were, you were very. Um, he didn't ever. He did, he wasn't at one of our Friday night lights the other other night. Uh, his right left foot really wasn't. You you made it a Friday night cripes, Mike. Um, yeah, Adam. You know he. He had a much better game. Uh, he was playing 
you know, his closest sort of partner up there was was, was Gosling, and they haven't you know particularly played that much together. Uh, but him getting on the score sheet, and I like the fact is that the front three all did get a goal each. That that's just there's lovely symmetry to that. Um, so his his goal though was uh, a charge forward and, and uh, you know beautifully placed in the, in the corner from him. At the beginning of the second half, you'll remember that we were under the pump a little bit, and and Semer had had a chance just before that. Uh, that bounced to him and it was it was actually a good save at the near post and that just changed the dynamic a little bit and it got Blackburn on the back foot and they thought hang on a minute oh yeah I remember now we've got these mm. you know these three really dangerous forwards up against us uh, for that for the whole of this second half so you know in the build-up to the goal they were being pushed back and it was you know Dan Gosling who I think looked a little bit tired towards around about sort of 50 60 minutes he looked a little bit leggy but I think that probably you know having not played 90 minutes for for quite some time for for Bournemouth the pitch the rain you know the the fact that it was sort of end to end and there wasn't really much cohesion in in the middle of the park I think it probably sort of ran him into the ground a little bit but he did play his part in the goal and then Semmer's you know finish obviously was was Really, really clever once again, the little step over and then the, the placed finish. And I think if you look at the, the striking options that, that Watford have, if you look at that front three, I think every team that we come up against now, they will be hoping beyond hope that there is some sort of rotation because I don't think that there's there's much respite for, for any of the defenders. And obviously Blackburn have, have had a lot of injuries and they had a very young uh, central um, defensive partnership so they will have been fearful and it was great to see the front three you know all contribute look dangerous throughout throughout the game as we're talking about wars I was watching the game from home I wasn't actually at the game this evening I managed to work out a bit of an anagram for the three of them oh, the, the surnames I know João Pedro should be all as one because he is that is one name but Pedro Sema and Saar is an anagram of armored spears so, you know, that is that is you know what they were this evening in the, the battle of blackburn in that war the armored spears came to the fore and they were they were absolutely fantastic and just going back to what you were saying before about um Saar, mike i think you know one of the huge things about him now is that whenever you see him I remember earlier on in the season, the sort of the cutaways that you would see of him. He might be shrugging his shoulders. He might be sort of complaining. He might be sort of just looking a little bit out of sorts for whatever reason, for whatever reason it was, whether it was about, you know, being in the championship, thinking that he was going to get a move away, just the game situation. It might be things that we don't know about, whatever it was. That has completely changed now. And obviously I was talking about when he threw his gloves off when we were at Preston. You saw today, you know, just the encouragement that you see from him. You know, he's connecting with his teammates. He's saying, sorry about that pass or, Mm -hmm. you know, running back. Actually, in the it's it's, it's ironic, really, because in the build up to um, us conceding the first goal, he'd actually, you know, got back into the middle. And made a sort of a, a charge back to try and help out because it was looking a little bit shaky, and and unfortunately it then led to the goal. But the intentions were good, and I think that that's that's his sort of mo at the moment. All of his intentions are good. He's making the right choices. Not all not all brilliant. Not all the crosses are great, but you know, in terms of his impact on the game and his output, he's really stepped it up. What is it now? Four goals in the last eight games for him. You know, scoring at Stoke, two against Bristol City, scoring tonight as well. 
and assisting other goals too. So, you know, it's great to have him in the side. And, and you know, even if it only lasts until May and the end of this season, then, you know, we we can be grateful that we've got him in that Watford lineup at the moment. And I think he's bringing out the best in the likes of João Pedro and also Ken Semmer as well. And it must be it must be really sort of relentless for those for those defenders thinking, oh, look, we've got a breather now. It's going over to the left. Oh, no, it's Ken yeah. Semmer. Oh, no, it's over to the right. It's Sa. Oh, God. Right, play it through the middle. Oh, here's the here's old clever tricks, João Pedro sort of coming up with a box of them. And you just think, oh, it must be really, really tough. So it, it's great to see. And rewind back to the beginning of the season and rewind back to what just only a few weeks ago when we were worried about Dini and Gray and all this sort of stuff. We're looking dangerous coming forward. And that is the most important thing when you build up that momentum in a promotion push. All three of them offer something different. And, you know, João Pedro, I think his... I think he's been pretty consistent when he's been on the field for Watford. I think he is looking, with each game that passes, he looks more and more extraordinary as a footballer to me. Just everything about him is is fantastic. He's a he's a threat in terms of a goal threat. His movement is wonderful. His his ball control is, is sensational. His touch playing players in, his pass is, is wonderful. His awareness, and of course, he, he's, he's tough as well. You've got Ken on the left. Great to see him score tonight because I think what's important is if you're not absolutely having an amazing game that to, to chip in with with a great goal that what was a vital vital time really good finish at an important time huge for him and Saar is just a different player you know I, I, I dread to think how many times in the in the first sort of two-thirds of the season of doing this podcast we need to find a way to get Saar into the game we need a way for him to look happy he doesn't look like he's enjoying it and I think a lot of that I don't think necessarily a switch has gone off because he's he's always been good. He's always been rapid. He's just got the confidence in those guys up there with him. And when you play with Pedro through the middle, there is a whole world of opportunities open up. And we we mentioned them briefly before. Uh, Chalabar wasn't there tonight, but he's he's come to the fore a little bit in recent performances. But cleverly and Will Hughes as a as a pairing are just closing that gap between the defence and, and up, up top. And at long last, they feel like a unit. And we've got at one end, the defence has been pretty solid, pretty stout all season. But now at the other end, we've got this sort of whirly gig, sort of three sort of buzzing... Armoured Spears you're looking for. Armoured Spears. Spears. That's, That's the podcast it. title, everybody. We're yeah. sorting now. Hashtag Armoured Spears. Um, just enjoying their football and yeah. effectively running defences ragged and what what really enthused me about Saar in particular tonight he got clattered a couple of times certainly in the second half and he stayed down once uh, but earlier in the season you see him take any sort of contact and he's down and he'd stay down and he'd he'd remonstrate with the ref he'd, he'd shrug his shoulders shoulders and moan a little bit but he got, it happened a couple of times tonight and he's just apart from the one time he was he was up and at him um, and I thought there were some curious decisions from a, from a refereeing point tonight. But uh, he just looks tougher. He looks more engaged. But more, more importantly for Watford, he looks like a threat every time he gets the ball now. And it's I don't, it's so exciting to see. And it's it's kind of like, um, you know, three, four, five months of waiting to see it happen. It's it's finally happening. And it's uh, it's pretty joyous, really. It's It's a really exciting time to be a Watford supporter, isn't it? One other quick thing on, on Ishmael Assar. 
the last 14 games in the league he's played the full 90 minutes as well and you yeah, imagine all the amazing. all the tack all the tackles he is getting and all the times he has been flawed you know it's like Chumbawamba he gets knocked down he gets up again he goes again <laughs> and he's he's actually contributing you know more and more so yeah i completely agree i think he's he's been he's been fantastic he's been transformed and also he's i suppose it's almost as if he's in a he's in a, a non distract zone he's in a safe zone now where he's not being tempted about big moves to Manchester United or Liverpool or whatever just this is this is proper shop window stuff yeah. if you want to leave eventually fine but just go and do it and this is your this is your sort of playground to just show everything that you've got for everyone in the squad because then you know if 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 things don't go well and you don't get promoted yeah you'll get you'll get the move with the blessing of the football club because your price tag will be higher everything everything will be you know addressed differently in the summer if there is no promotion at the end of it we all know that that's just the way things are going to go so you know go out there enjoy it show what you've got and you might get the move or you might just take Watford up into the Premier League and that is that is a great sort of combination of targets for everyone this episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds's small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Adam, there you mentioned like, the, the number of minutes that, that Ishmael has been playing. Um, but you did a piece last week about that seven days, you know, the, 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 the win against Bristol City and Preston and Derby County and, and what Watford sort of, uh, how Watford got through it and how they were able to win three games in, in seven days. What did you find out in, in terms of that preparation or not even preparation? It's more recovery, isn't it? That they that was the success. That was a, that was a huge part of those those three games against uh, Bristol City, Preston, and and Derby, that because they were playing every three days, so they only had two days in between. What I learned, which I didn't necessarily know before, is that you know the 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 day after a game or the second day after a game, I should say, mm. is the one where where players are almost the most precarious in terms of picking up injuries and things like that, and. You know, so there wasn't much work done on the on the training pitch at all. There wasn't really an opportunity. A lot of the work that was done in between games, and it'll be very similar now to what's happening. You know, tonight after Blackburn, they'll get back in the early hours of the morning. They'll have a recovery, and then they'll have to travel on Friday 
they can't sort of go down to Bournemouth on on Saturday morning because they're playing really really early. So, you know, they won't have any any chance to do anything apart from some video analysis briefly probably of of the Blackburn game and then a little bit of a briefing on on the opponents Bournemouth. So, yeah, it's all about recovery. It's all about injury pre- prevention and, you know, getting back into into the training ground and and just trying to protect against the the injuries the sort of the injury hot spots like the, you know calves and groins and and hamstrings and just trying to protect yourself patch yourself up and and go again and it's it is an interesting way that they pre- prepared for for this game i suppose because you know after having those three games there was going to be a little bit of sort of in-game rotation, wasn't there? So they were sort of making quite regular substitutions on on 60 minutes and and then Zinkanagel and Ben Wilmot almost seemed to be like a partnership that were coming on together. But then they had, you know, four days before the game against Blackburn. And it was I was quite interested to see how they were going to prepare for that. And it just seems as if they sort of went, no, all right. We've got we've got a few days off now. We're we're happy to go again, and they've got that sort of siege mentality approach, which I think is which is really good. I suppose the only thing that you know it can fall down on is if you pick up a an injury because you've overworked or you've overloaded, you know, one of your your main players. But at the moment, and that's you know that is credit to the the backroom staff and the support team at the club the medical staff and all the people that are you know the sports science team and all that sort of stuff that you know fingers crossed at the moment they seem to be getting that recovery done pretty well and although in some of these games you're seeing you know some players legs go and that will be for a variety of reasons if they haven't been playing for a lot like Dan Gosling or if they are sort of playing full 90 minutes in the in central areas on the pitch like Tom Cleverley for example then there is going to be some fatigue within games but you know getting the team ready to be able to you know go into games start games strong that's the main thing because then you can make changes later on if if you need to so you know credit credit to the the backroom team for for you know managing to negotiate a, a chaotically um frantic relentless season in in the championship because I've got the stats in front of you, I always remember like they, they almost see the, the teams that are really successful always have like a, a small number of players they, they pull on um, that actually make up the starting eleven. And, do you, and yeah. that's that always fills me with confidence because you think anyone who's playing regularly is going to be more confident, as, as we've talked about on, on the podcast already. Do you think though, Adam, in terms of the setup at Watford, this is a, a big advantage we have over our. Our promotion rivals, uh, and that's going to be, uh, you know, because of the number of games we all the clubs have got in the next few months. This is going to be something that's going to we're going to benefit from over and over again. Well, the, the one thing that I, I sort of looked into when I was doing the piece was sort of trying to look at the history of it a little bit, and I and I went back to the interview that I did with Filippo Giraldi, and you know, he reminded me of the the fact that back in 2014-15, when you know, obviously we got promoted. They brought in that cryotherapy chamber and that was, you know, a precursor to a lot of other clubs doing it. Um, And also it was the first time that they were flying to games to help with the recovery. And that made a big difference that season. So it's, you know, it's interesting now that they're back in the championship and it is having an impact again because it was mentioned in the interview with Giraldi that it's a bit different in the Premier League because you don't really need to focus that much on recovery because often you'll have you know a full week 
in between games. It doesn't really get that relentless apart from maybe at the beginning of the season a little bit and maybe there'll be a couple of midweek games here and there. But obviously in the championship, you've got eight more fixtures and you're playing every three days, as we've mentioned. So being able to have those little advantages like cryotherapy, which obviously uses, you know, very, very cold temperatures to help you know, speed up recovery and things like that. And also to be able to reduce the traveling time so you are able to get to sleep quicker after games. So if they can, you know, have that private um, charter flight back from Bern and be back to bed by one in the morning rather than, you know, two, three, four o'clock when they have to get up at nine o'clock the next morning and go in and do some recovery work, then it's just those little marginal gains which can which can help. And some other clubs, you know, will be doing exactly the same thing. But some others who haven't got the big budgets and they're being sort of, you know, they're having their cloth cut quite severely due to sort of having to cut back due to COVID and financial, you know, problems and things like that that they won't be able to do it. So, you know, Watford at the moment, if they can use those advantages, then, you know, it may it may be just that little extra 1% that could maybe sort of nudge them over the line into the into the automatic promotion places. We, we shall see. But it's, you know, they seem to be doing the right thing at the moment. Uh, if you want to read the article, of course you can, on The Athletic. Uh, and to subscribe, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and sign up. The deal at the moment, I think it's 50% off, which is about... About a pound a month, or like a pound a week, I think it is, and or eight p a day, and that will only run until. <laughs> you just making them up? No, I did a bit of math. Um, I did. I did all my calculator and everything. You was like you were like one of those shop assistants giving your change when they give when you get all confused. It's like you gave me five pounds. There's the four nine and it. There's the twenty fourth. There's your change. Brilliant. Yeah. But yeah, well, you get to read your articles, Adam. But also, they can take part in the quiz that you're doing in a few weeks' time on Monday, the eighth of March. Yes. For prostate cancer, there is. There's a special quiz for athletic subscribers uh, where we hopefully can raise some money for prostate cancer and find out which one of you, all the Watford fans, is the most knowledgeable. To, to do that, you have to be a subscriber. Uh, and if you want to have, if you if you search for prostate cancer uh, on The Athletic, you'll find the, the sign-up article where you can take part. Uh, and yeah, well, that's a, a couple of weeks away. Is it going to be a tough one, Adam, do you think? Or is it going to be just, just a little tough? What the quiz. Uh, well, no, it's, it's going to be testing. I must admit that we need to sort of get those questions together and we need to work out exactly how testing it is going to be. Well, we test them to see if they can come with an anagram for Zinc and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll, let's have it. We'll definitely have an anagrams round. We'll definitely Excellent. do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I've already I've already obviously already given away one of the answers um, by sharing it on social media. But, uh, yeah, there will be ones akin to the uh, armoured spears on March the 8th. <laughs> Um, but tomorrow you've got an article, or today when you're here listening to this podcast, once you listen to the podcast, go to The Athletic uh, and read an article you've got about, about Will Hughes. And it's not just a, an interview with Will Hughes, it's not just a, hey, what's he up to at the moment, but it's, it's a classic athletic to get into the, the depths of Will Hughes. And, and you spoke to some very interesting people in his past, haven't you? Yeah, uh, the piece is called The Evolution of Will Hughes, Watford's Blonde-Haired Silent Assassin. Um, and it was uh, it was uh, it was really really fun putting this this article together because obviously you know since he came back into the side everyone knows you know thankfully he's now in his rightful position in the centre rather than sort of faffing around on the on the flanks Cisco stop doing that so it's great that he's now doing you know doing his business in the right place sounds like a very obedient <laughs> an obedient dog or a cat with a cat litter trait nothing nothing of the sorts you know, is, he doing a, is he a pet or a baby-faced assassin Come on, <laughs> get on with it um yeah basically 
I, I wanted to sort of just sort of track his his evolution from you know starting as a as a as a footballer, but also how he also evolved positionally. And I went back to um, speak to his teacher that oversaw his early football career at Repton, um, where he went to school. It's a very prestigious, uh, prestigious school in Derbyshire. The likes of uh, Roald Dahl went there. Um, more recently, you know, Olympic swimmer Adam Peaty went there. Um, Jeremy Clarkson went there as well. I don't know if that if that's a good or a bad thing. Um, but whatever it is, you know, it's a very very good school and. I really sort of enjoyed learning about a young Will Hughes and it seems as if not really much has changed and that's a a real sort of I suppose that speaks of his his consistency and the fact that he has got his feet on the ground that he was really really determined back then his um, his sort of combative nature was seen from a very early age his his first touch was was excellent his ability to sort of open his body and move away from danger and and play really really um intricate passes in tight spaces was apparent when he was when he was very very young indeed um and there's some interesting stories in there i won't go into all of them it's you know it'd be great if you go and go and read the piece but you know they came up against um, manchester united at repton because they had a relationship with manchester united and there's a, a few familiar faces that he he came up against and there was one tournament that he played in when he was uh, 15 years old. It was like the Independent Schools Football Association tournament. And he came up against the side um, from Brentwood School and they were littered with famous names. So Trevor Brooking's nephew was playing for them. I spoke to him, Peter Brooking, who's a, who's a lovely chap. And they had Elliot Lee, who was uh, who's Rob Lee's son. They had uh, Glenn Roder's son in there. They had Colin Calderwood's son in there in that Brentwood side. And Brentwood won, but that was because the goalkeeper wasn't very good. The best player on the pitch was Will Hughes, and he scored a brilliant goal in that game as well. So we sort of look at that, and then I kick on and you know head on through to playing for Derby County. I spoke to um, Steve McLaren about his his time there. We revisit some of the sort of quotes at the time when you know he was just coming into the team team and Nigel Clough was a little bit worried about him getting too much attention but once again the fact that he was so grounded sort of just meant that he could you know make his debut when he was a 16 year old and stay in that Derby side for what six seven seasons consistently bar a few injury um, absences and you know it was it was just great to sort of pick pick through his career and just find out how he's changed from an attacking midfielder obviously now we know that he's more of a an anchor uh, more of a controller in midfield. I spoke to someone who knows Watford midfield very well and also you know, how to manage players as well, Paolo Vanazza, who's his agent. And he gave a great insight into what he's like on the field, how he works at his game, how he sort of analyses his game, but also what he's like off the field. And, you know, we've seen him with his sort of dry sense of humour and his well, his, his foul mouth in, in the Ben Ben Foster videos, but just his sort of witty sense of humour. And that's where the, the title comes from, being a, a bit of a, a silent assassin, because A.D. Boothroyd said that he was very, very quick-witted. Paolo Vanazza said that as well. And, you know, it just comes through in the piece. So I hope people enjoy it. And, um, yeah, we've done a little bit of statistical analysis in there as well. So it's, it, it, is, it, is, it is, as you say, John, a, a classic sort of, athletic deep dive and I think it's it's about someone that people really you know really love at the moment hope that he's going to stick around at Watford for for a long time and potentially he is 
you know, he's a future captain. It would be great if the stars sort of combine and everything goes well, that he can be Watford's captain. You know, no, no, no sort of um, no shame on, on saying it for, you know, Troy Deeney or Tom Cleverley, who's currently wearing the armband. But, you know, the future, he's still only 25, believe it or not, Will mm-hmm. Hughes, and he is potentially the captain of the future. There's two things I wanted to mention about Will Hughes, and one of them you touched on there, Adam, was just that his character... Um, we've talked about how difficult this running is going to be and how it's going to need strong characters and how the margins are going to be the, the important thing. And you can just see, you know, you mentioned it, not flippantly, but in, in passing about his character is clear in, in Ben Foster's videos. And you could tell he's a bigger character than you might initially assume. You might assume it to be quite quite a quiet chap if, if you didn't know anything about it. But it, just seeing those videos, you could tell he's not, you know, Watford released a great clip, didn't they, this week of some of the outtakes with, with him involved in that as well. So for yeah. him to be a good sport in in, in, in that going out is, is great. And Watford need those people in the dressing room. And, and I think not just on the pitch, but, but, but in training, um, in the dressing room, I think he could be an absolutely massive, massive player for in, in that regard. And also just looking back, what a great, great, great signing he really was. Because as you mentioned, Adam, and you mentioned in the piece, he played for Derby for a long time. He started very, very young. And he would have been on the lips of a lot of clubs, a bigger stature than Watford for, for, for a while. And Watford took a, a punt on him. He's one of those when people sort of hesitated a little bit. I think perhaps there would have been a few injuries. And and Watford went in and, and nabbed him. And... What a what a tremendous signing it it really is because he you could have expected him to go elsewhere couldn't you you could have expected him to to, to sign with a inverted commas bigger bigger club than Watford yeah and and you know it was it was the big clubs that were sniffing around him when he was really really young as well you know the likes of Manchester United and, and Liverpool Barcelona as well they sort of prepared a a dossier on him because he was one of the sort of the the bright young things, not only because of his flash of of, of blonde hair, um, and yeah, later on, you know, he admits himself, and I, I sort of put it in the piece that, um, you know, he felt that he'd stagnated a little bit at Derby County, and they had a flurry of of managers, the likes of um, Paul Clement, um, uh, Darren Wassell was in charge briefly, the academy head coach. They had Nigel Pearson, who who you know ultimately has got us into a situation where he's actually playing in in a better position and he's actually got a little bit of a sort of a future path ahead of him when he when he came in Nigel Pearson last season and he dropped him back in alongside Etienne Capou allowed Abdoulaye Decoré to play in a more advanced role you know that actually led to some of the best performances that we've seen from Will Hughes and now you know that is the role that he plays so you know he he said that he was he was sort of ready to leave Derby County. He had had a bad knee injury as well. And I think that really does take it out of you when he had nine months out with an ACL. But then he went to the the under-21 tournament in 2017, played in a diamond with um, Nathaniel Shalabar at the base of it. He was playing on the left-hand side of it under A.D. Boothroyd. And then both of those players came back from the tournament. They'd lost on penalties. And then they were both at Watford. And, you know, if things had been different and they'd been allowed or been able to both play because Hughes had an injury, Shalabar then had an injury in that first season. The plan was for them to sort of play together consistently and they didn't really get that. And it's only really now that we're seeing them play together and start to build a bit of a rapport. So, you know, I don't know how long that's going to last and, you know, whether it's something to sort of really cling to for the future. But, 
you know they're both similar ages and they could be they could be a strong partnership for for the next few years for for Watford in that midfield maybe not just as a two but as a three and yeah you know Will Hughes we got him for what eight million pounds that's a, mm. that's a snip when you can see what you can do now. Well, we'll see what he can do, uh, as well as the whole team can do uh, in our next fixture. Early start-ish, uh, lunchtime, uh, away at Boscombe, uh, where we will see how they're doing. <laughs> they're not in a, in a great place because they are slowly falling down the league. Let's hope Watford don't do the thing of uh, giving them uh, a reason to be cheerful uh, on Saturday uh, afternoon. Thank you very much, Michael. Not at all. Thank you, Watford. Well done, Lance. Brilliant runner form. Let's keep it going. Yeah, and thank you, Adam. Thank you to the Armoured Spears. Good night. <laughs> the Athletic.